0: I'm sure, like many of you, uh, the last few days have been kind of glued to news feeds and seeing what's going on in the world. and uh, I think the passage we're dealing with this morning is really appropriate. Uh, in light of that, um, that uh, there's a lot of stuff as we look around in our world that can uh, can wind us up, can spin us up, can cause us to get really anxious and uh, uptight, you know, we've just gotten through this global pandemic and uh, now we've got the possibility of a global war that may happen depending on what goes down in Ukraine and uh, it can be really nerve-wracking, right? We, we walk through this world and, and many times we can think, ah, oh, you know, things are going pretty well, life's gonna be pretty comfortable and then something will hit us and will shock us out of that kind of naivete and then we realize that man, life is pretty darn uncertain and whether that's going into a doctor and getting a bad diagnosis or something hitting the economy or losing your job or being called into service in a war and your life literally being on the line there's a lot of stuff that you can get really anxious and uptight about if you focus on that stuff right and again to me you know that's on a kind of global scale we see that but also kind of in our nation now we see all this stuff going back and forth and even in the church as I see churches becoming more focused on a Christian nationalism than adoring Jesus Christ as our savior and those political tribes being the things that divide us as believers and I think Jesus is just weeping over that as we're looking to that to save us whoever's in that seat of government has the power to change all things and it's not true and then there's the individual stresses of life right jobs relationships dealing with professors, being in a training pipeline that you want to make it through, all those kind of things, there's just a lot of stuff that can wind us up really tight. I think in 2018 was the last statistic that I saw that the U.S. spent $113 billion on mental health care, $113 billion, and I think a big chunk of that was on anti-anxiety medications, right? And so you can take a benzodiazepine, dia, how do you pronounce? Diazepine, thank you, Xanax, Valium, those kind of things, right? And in about a half an hour, you'll be really mellow, right? It works for a little while. And then people take more and more of it because it doesn't tend to work as well, and then we get in this addictive cycle of, I've got to have that to survive, and it seems like we are depending on those kind of things pharmacologically to deal with that anxiety that often we feel in our hearts. And I'm not against psychological medication. I think that's really important at significant times in people's lives and there's, our brains have been in, impacted by the fall and there's biochemical imbalances and I understand that, but it seems like in our culture, we're so quick to prescribe something versus really deal with what the issues are underlying that anxiety or stress. And I think about anxiety and I think, okay, what, what is behind that? Usually it's a fear that's behind that, right? we were fearful of something that may happen in the future, and then that tends to get us really anxious, and it raises our heart rate, and it can put us into places where we can't even hardly focus on the present because we're so concerned about something in the future that we fear may happen, whether it happens or not. And I think our culture now, probably more than any other time, has a media machine that is kind of stoked to provide us with lots of fear because it knows that that sucks us in and will get us to click more and more and more so if people want to hook you they realize we're going to hook you with fear and all of that kind of stuff and i see this operating in the culture as large but in the church as well and remember john he said what casts out fear perfect love, right, and so we're gonna look at a passage that I think Jesus is reminding his people that that's something we've gotta regularly remind ourselves of, that we've got a Father that truly does care for us, and as believers, we should be approaching life in a very, very different way than those that don't know God through Jesus Christ, if you take a strictly materialistic view of this world and all we have is what we have here and now, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years if you just are a vegan or vegetarian and eat really well, right? I don't wanna live that long if I have to eat that way. It's just not, not my desire. But the reality is I know where I'm going, right? But if this is all I have, then surviving and living another day here is the main thing, right? Until it gets really bad, and then we have that whole kind of physician-assisted suicide thing that we can just check out when life gets gets really bad. But the reality is that as believers, we're called to live in a different way and to respond to life in a different way. You'll hear in some Christian circles that you come to Christ and God prevents difficulties and trials and challenges from hitting your life i don't know what bible they're reading but it's not in the one that i read and even in the section that we look at today jesus is really realistic and he says hey you're going to have trouble you're going to have enough trouble today so don't be that worried about the troubles that may come tomorrow deal with the troubles of today." Jesus does not say, hey, life is going to be just a cakewalk for you guys. It's all going to be downhill with following winds and it's just going to be a wonderful experience. No, he says it's going to be difficult. There are going to be things that wind you up. There is going to be uncertainty about the future. Jesus never said that I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen so you can prepare for it. He said there there is uncertainty out there. And so he doesn't promise us freedom from uncertainty. But what he does promise us in this section is, is that ability to be free from anxiety about what comes ahead. So I'm gonna read the passage and we'll talk a little bit about it. This is starting in Matthew chapter six. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along. If you don't have one, there should be one under one of the seats near you. If you're just kind of checking Christianity out and you're here this morning, we're really glad you're here. Bible should have an index in the front so you can get to the book of Matthew there. There's also a bookshelf in the foyer, so anything that's back there, Bibles, other resources, please pick up. Anything that's of interest to you, we're just really glad you're here. But uh, we're continuing on in an, what is called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is giving us the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. This is what I want you as my followers in my kingdom to live like. And so verse 25 starts, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is a reading of God's word. So last week I asked a question, what do you value most? And this week it's a similar question, but it's slightly different nuance. What are you pursuing most in your life? What are you seeking after most in your life? So Jesus has just told us basically it's foolish to lay up a bunch of treasures on this earth for ourselves. Why? Because all of that can vanish in a heartbeat. It's so uncertain and he says, I want you to invest for the future, invest in treasures in heaven and we took a little bit of a look at what that would be in life and now he moves on after saying that and you can hear some people in the audience saying, you know what, That's great, Jesus, but I don't even have any treasure. (laughs) I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I don't know exactly where my next meal is coming from, so I think this section focuses in a little bit more on those folks. He says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. For most of us in the West, that's not something that spins us up. I don't worry about where my next meal is coming from, I go to my closet, I got a bunch of clothes. I don't worry about, oh, what am I going to wear tomorrow? I've never been a clothes hound. You can say, yeah, I know that, Brett. And, and the reality is that, that that's just, that's not something that, that spins me up at all. But we live in a very affluent country. And when I was in Moldova and we were doing mission work, I remember one day vividly, I was walking with a guy named Craig Myers through a market, and uh, we encountered a Moldovan woman who was traveling from the north of the country down to the area on the sea to do a Christian camp. And we're walking through the market, and I just offhanded say, hey, there's some apples, can I buy you guys some apples? You guys being Yankee for y'all. And uh, the reality of that situation, it's just, it didn't even, so what? You know, it was probably 10 cents an apple, right? And the girl that was with us that was on this camping trip started to cry and praise God, and I'm like... What, in the, what have, have I said something totally culturally inappropriate here? Is it really bad to buy apples for a woman in this culture? Is that like a, a proposal? I'm a married man, you know, what's, what's going on here? And, and, and so, so we asked her and she said, you know, I was just in my prayer time this morning and I don't have any money and I said, God, if I could just have an apple today, that would just be such evidence of your love. And I'm like, wow an apple, I think nothing of it. And I think we live in this affluent west where that's never a concern and the downside of that is that God may be not quite as real to us because that girl knew at that moment my father is caring for me in a way that I don't experience often in life because that's pretty much taken care of. I know that I can go to Publix and buy an apple and it's not gonna impact me materially at all. But there are lots of folks in the world where the next meal is coming from and if they're going to have enough shelter to protect them from the cold is a legitimate concern. And he says to those people, don't be anxious about your life. And this word anxious here, it's used a fair amount in Scripture. Oftentimes it's negative, but it can have a positive use. In 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul's talking about the advantages basically of being single, this is not often preached in the church, but Paul said it's better to be single if you can, right? And so he, he says there, one of the reasons it's better to be single is because you can be, quote, anxious about the things of the Lord. Meaning you can focus your care and concern on the things of the Lord, and when you're married, your concern is divided. That's not saying it's a bad thing, but it, that's just the reality, right? So there's a, there's a positive anxiety there. In Philippians 2.20 Paul says, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you, Philippians, because he is anxious about you. He is concerned about you. So there's a a legitimate concern that motivates Timothy to go and to minister to the Philippian believers. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, I think it is, Paul says he's going through the list of everything that's happened to him. Man, shipwrecked, you know, stoned, left for dead, all this kind of stuff. And then he says, on top of everything else, daily I have this anxiety for the churches, his concern for the churches. So I don't think Jesus is saying here, legitimate concern is wrong, or any type of forethought for the future or for other people is wrong. But what he's saying is when that's all focused on you and you're getting enough stuff and it's not, those seem to be kingdom focused things, saying we should be concerned and caring about these things. But there is a legitimate concern, but I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about here. I think he's talking kind of about this spinning up type of anxiety that gets us in the gut that is motivated by fear, not by a trust in our Father. And Where that line is drawn between legitimate concern and anxiety, I can't determine for each of us. But I think we've all got a pretty good idea when legitimate concern morphs into kind of hand-wringing anxiety that we're uptight about stuff. And again, for us, it's probably not where we're getting our next meal or what we're going to wear, but I think there's a lot of things that spin us uptight, right? And you can look at your own heart and say, Lord, what are these things, you know, are my kids gonna turn out if you've got kids, right? Or am I gonna make it through training? Or what college am I gonna get into? If I'm gonna get into any college at all, or what does my future hold? And do I have enough saved up for retirement and what happens now with all this stuff going on globally and all so we can allow that to kind of just churn in our gut, right? In Greek, this word was used of stuff that kept people up at night. It's like, ah, I wanna go to bed, but just this fear just keeps spinning around in my head and I just can't lay my head down on my pillow and get a good night of sleep. So I wanna look at some of the things that Jesus gives us here to help us move from being really anxious to what one author calls being a non-anxious presence. I love that thought. Lord, I want to be a non-anxious presence. I want to be someone that comes into a room and doesn't add anxiety to that situation but brings a sense of calm and peace because I know you and I'm depending on you in the midst of this circumstance. So let's look at some of the things that Jesus gives and I think they're helpful in maybe pushing down a little bit of that anxiety in our hearts. And the first thing is to take a step away from whatever issue it is you're facing and recapture the big picture of what God is doing in this world. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Then he says this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying, isn't life more than the material stuff that enables you to survive? Is there something more to life than just surviving? Again, many in our culture say, we're just here, we're just here the product of chance and that's really why we're here, right? To, to survive. Survival of the fittest for a while and it's all about maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain. That's what life is. And so you say this to a non-believer, it's like, yeah, that's, life, that's what life is, right? He or she dies with the most toys, wins and has the best Instagram feeds and all that kind of, That's that's winning, right? But Jesus says, Life's more than that. What more is there? It's a relationship with the God of the universe. This is life, right? John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That is what life consists of. And the abundant life is not necessarily the abundance of possessions, right? Jesus says a person's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. But I think our life does consist in the abundance of our relationship with God. God. And so we need to recognize as we take a step back from life, and I think this applies to a Ukrainian Christian in the subway in Kyiv right now, as well as to us here. That there's a big picture that's going on. That God created this world for relationship with us and we broke it through our rebellion and he came in Jesus Christ to redeem this broken world and one day he's coming to restore all things and bring everything to right so there will be no more missiles hitting apartment complexes and kids dying because of that. There will be peace everywhere. And he says, that's what you're part of. And if you're my child, that is a guarantee. It is well with my soul. So life is about more than just where my next meal is coming from or what I'm putting on or how much I'm putting in my bank account or how my job is going or how my kids, it's bigger, much bigger than that. I get to be part of this picture of God bringing me into his kingdom. So for me, sometimes when we're so spun up about stuff, we need to take a step back and say, okay, there's something that's a lot bigger that's going on here. And maybe the issue I'm facing is not about me. Maybe it's to help other people learn. And one way I really hate 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1, because it says the comfort that you received as you're going through a difficulty then you can offer to others. I've always been saying, I'd rather be much less comforting to others and more comfortable personally. That would be my choice. But God says, yeah, thank you. I, I need it, Eric. I do need it. But the reality is, as we go through life, these troubles hit us and we're not exempt from them. And then it's like, okay, hopefully as we learn in the midst of that to depend on God and He comforts us that we're able to offer comfort to other people. And so as we go through life, one of the things that helps me is to take a step back and get the big picture. And in that process, one of the things that I do, and I may be morbid about this, but okay, it's just to catastrophize the scenario. What's the worst case, the worst thing that could actually happen here? Just to let you into my psyche, when the church was new, it was every week. I didn't know if this thing was going to survive or not. And so that really spun me up, right? And a lot of it was my ego tied into this thing, you know, becoming bigger. And that means I'm a good pastor. And that means I'm a valid person. All all that junk was mixed in with that. But the reality is I had to tell myself, okay, God, what if I come to church next Sunday and nobody shows up but Anetta and my one <laughs> child at the time. Is that okay? And it's like, yeah, well, what does the word say? The word says he's going to provide for me regardless. And the one verse that was in my head from being a kid is 1 Thessalonians 5. 18, Who does not provide for his family. is worse than an unbeliever. And it's like, oh, God, i got to provide for my family. I'm worse than an unbeliever. And he says, well, are you doing what I want you to do? I think so. Then are you going to trust me to provide in that way? And even if it goes a different way than what you expect, are you gonna still trust me that I'm a good, good father and I'm gonna take care of you and your family through this? So that's kind of what God used in my say, okay, what's the worst case scenario? And I think of believers in Ukraine now, what's worst case scenario for them? Do they die? Right? And so what do they think? It's like, Lord, I want to be used by you even in the midst of this situation. So as I'm sitting in this subway Is there somebody that I can talk to in the midst of this situation that may be very spun up because they do not have a hope in Jesus Christ? Can I offer comfort and hope to them? I don't have any guarantee that I'm getting out of the subway or out of the city alive, but I do have a guarantee that I will live forever with you and I want to be used by you in the midst of this circumstance. So that's worst case scenario, Jesus, help me to be faithful to you in the midst of that. Psalm 73 is really helpful to me in this. You you have the psalmist looking out at people that could give a rip about God and life seems to be going perfectly. And then you've got him, he's saying, you know, my life is just terrible right now. And he says, all this was oppressive to me till I entered into the sanctuary of God and got a different perspective. And then he ends that, you know, I don't have anybody in heaven and earth that I need other than you. But without that perspective, it's so easy for us just to look horizontally and we look at all the things that are threatened or what could happen and fear can spin us up. So take a step back from your situation and get the big picture. Then the second thing Jesus does here, he says basically, observe how God cares for the less valuable aspects of his creation. And he uses birds and he uses Wildflowers, a lot of translations call it lilies. Probably it's just the flowers that grew up in the field. Jesus is on a mount, so he may be looking out at some wild lilies there, observing the birds. And basically he says, okay, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. God cares for the birds, he feeds them. And, you know, they don't even have the ability to sow, to reap, to store away in barns. That, that's not even, but God feeds them, right? They have less means to take care of their future than you do, but God is still meeting their needs. And then look at the lilies. Solomon, the greatest and the richest of Israel's kings, says, okay, he probably had some really nice clothing, right? And clothing back then was really expensive. It was that symbol of, yeah, I've made it. So Solomon had made it, right? And he says, not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these lilies you ever taken time to ponder a flower and just look at the intricacy of some of the flowers? My wife loves pansies. We get plant pansies, and they're just these beautiful colors where purple's moving into yellow, and it just, and i try to put that together on a canvas, and it would be, oh, this is so tacky. <laughs> but God doesn't. It's like, this is amazing. This is beautiful. And to me, I had tropical fish for a while, and one of the things that just always astounded me is God's creativity in places where nobody sees it. And he says that if God lavishly cares and clothes his creation like that, how much more is he going to take care of you? John Stott, who was a British pastor, um, was an avid bird watcher. And people that study birds are ornithologists. And he coined a word. He said we should be ornithologists. We should be those that look at the birds and let the birds teach us about God, Right? And in all this, there can be this reaction of, oh, great, I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and wait for the T-bone or the, the blackened mahi-mahi to descend on my plate because God cares for everything, right? They're not doing anything. That's not what he's saying. Martin Luther says God cares for the birds of the air, but he doesn't drop the food into their beak. It's clear, and the book of Second Thessalonians was written to combat a lot of kind of, people abdicating responsibility in the church to do work. And in 2 Thessalonians, I think it's 3.10, it says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And Paul says, warn those that are lazy. Not if you can't work, don't eat. If you can't work, for whatever reasons, the church should respond and should care for you. But if you will not work, then you do not eat. So this is not advocating a whatever lackadaisical i'll just chill out and you know hang i'll surf today and you know god will help provide it's i don't think that's what god is saying here but he's saying you don't have to get spun up so tight about all these things because look at how god takes care of creation and someone may say well yeah but birds die and and flowers die and they don't look so beautiful anymore right and i think these promises apply as long as God wants us to keep, keep us on this planet. I always say we are immortal till God wants to call us home, but he will call us home in various ways. And there are Christians that have died as martyrs through exposure and through starvation. That is a reality of life. But even then, our Father cares for us and brings us into his presence. So look at nature and say, God, you've got this. I think it's really helpful for me and I really love mountains to give me a perspective. There's not a lot of mountains down here, but I think the beach can give you that a little bit, just when your field of vision is just big, right? And you realize, okay, this is the God that I serve. That's why I like looking at Hubble telescope images of the universe and say, okay, the God that I'm worried about taking care of me is the God that with a word created, the I don't know, 93 billion light years that this universe is across. So I think he can handle my financial issue right now. I think he's got that. And again, Jesus does not promise here freedom from difficulty or challenges, you know. He says, look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. yet your heavenly Father cares for them. Are you not more value than they? And then he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And to me, this is another important thing to remember, is just to remember how unproductive and unhelpful and robbing of life anxiety is, right? Now there's different ways this is translated. Some of your translations may say, who can add a single cubit to his height? The problem is it's kind of a mixed metaphor. Uh, the height there these can be kind of physical dimensions but they can also be time dimensions and I think the ESV does a really good job who can add a single hour to a span of life because we use it the same way lifespan there can be a span of time there can be a span of size right the span of a bridge so it's the same idea and I think it's better related to time because it's the point is that there's, you can't even add something miniature, like one hour to your entire life. But a cubit is the distance from your elbow to your fingers. So it doesn't make that much. Who can add a cubit to his height? You add a cubit to my height, I'm playing in the NBA, I'm making bank, and I'm probably not going to be in here teaching Bible, right? But the reality is Jesus is saying you can't, by your worry, change the situation. And I think that's really important periodically, but it's hard for us, especially as control freaks, to take a step back and realize, you know what, I, I, I'm not in control here. I'm not in control of if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. I'm not in control if my health is going to be good tomorrow. I'm not in control of my kids. I'm not in control of the people around me, even though I may try to. I can't manipulate it and make it happen. we realize that is, when we're more sane, we're not something we can do. But one of the ways that anxiety spins us up is we try to control and micromanage everything in life to make it work out, right? Because fear pushes us into that type of frantic activity. And Jesus is saying basically, that's just not really worth it, is it? How many of you have worried about something that never occurred? (laughs) How many of you have let worry in this day rob you of joy? and maybe the opportunity is really to be present with other people and love other people well because you're so spun up about something that you think may happen down the road. And Jesus says just it's just it's pointless. It's stupid. You can't change the future and you do not know the future. And so many of the things that I would get spun up about never happened in life. But they ruin my present because I'm As Chris says, mortgaging my present on the debt of worry in the right now. Jesus says, can't even add an hour to the length of your span of life. Well, I can, Brett. I'm eating really healthy. I'm exercising. My doctor says, yeah, right. There's lots of people that I know. (laughs) And who was the guy in my, you know, he's like the granola guy, the yeah, and it's like, oh, this guy's eating tree bark, he's the healthiest guy, and then he like dies of some, yeah, it's like, okay, you think you control life, you don't, right? And we don't. My mom had, I wasn't even around, but three kids, three boys, six and under, when my dad was sent home from a doctor's visit with stage four melanoma, and there was no treatment at that point in time. You think in your early 30s, you're expecting that's going to happen. You don't know. And if my mom had worried a lot about that, that, that's probably not even something she would have worried about. But then she would say that God provided me the help that I needed in the midst of that, and he healed my dad, and all those kind of things. But that was help that was present in the time that the trouble was present. One of the other things in Scripture that Jesus says don't worry about, as he's talking to his disciples, he said, man, they're going to drag you before courts and all sorts of people that are antagonistic to you. And he says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about how you're going to make your defense. And in Luke 12:12, 12, 12, it says, you will be given, and I love this, in that hour, what to say. He's not going to give us grace today for the potential problems and fears that we have and troubles that may happen tomorrow. He's not promising there won't be troubles tomorrow. In fact, Scripture seem to indicate there will be. There's going to constantly be troubles. We live in a broken planet, right? But he will provide the grace to endure those troubles when those troubles come. And when we're worried about those troubles today that aren't yet here, he's not going to provide the relief for those because they may never come anyhow. That's the end of this passage. Each day has got enough issues of its own, right? That's right. You got kids? You know that, right? So recognize how unproductive and ultimately pointless worry is. And to me, this is most important. Remember that you're God's child and you've got a heavenly father that loves you and cares for you more than you even love and care for yourself. And he has promised to take care of your needs until he calls you home. And again, when we talk about father in scripture, a lot of people don't have great experience with their human fathers. I understand that. But the reality is, if your experience with your human father was not good, that's not what the Heavenly Father was like. And I know it takes a while to understand that, but that's the reality, that this is a good, good father that delights to give good gifts to his children. And it says in this passage that he knows what you need. And he promises to take care of what you need. Notice it doesn't say he promises to give you what you want. Because sometimes what we want and what we think we need, God knows that's not really going to be healthy for you healthy. So we're going to give you something that you really need and what you really need may be some trouble right now to help you to cling more closely onto me and grow in your relationship of understanding who I am. And it may be a little hairy in your life right now, but that's what you need to grow into this relationship with me. he cares and he knows. And sometimes life doesn't look like that, but that's when we've got to trust, okay, he knows what he's doing. And I think, as I've talked about this before, you talk to more seasoned Christians, right? That have experienced, I'm not going to say old, but more seasoned, right? Vintage Christians that are out there. (laughs) You talk to them and, and what are they going to say almost universally? When did you learn most about God's character and his love for you and to know that he was real and could be trusted? Was it when you got the great promotion, when everything turned out right in your life, or no, it was when I faced this and I realized in this that God is still good and still caring for me. Would I have ever picked that? No. Would I let go of what I've learned about God in the midst of that? No. And that's kind of the paradox that we have to deal with as we walk through life. If you judge your Father in Heaven's goodness based on the circumstances of your life, you're going to be all over the place. Because the circumstances in our life are not indicative of God's love and care for us. And God sometimes will bring difficult circumstances into our life so that we more closely relate to Him. And that's something that I don't like to hear and I don't like to say it, but it's the reality of life. Old Testament says, man, it was good for me when I was afflicted. What? That's crazy talk. Who wants to be afflicted? No, because it drew that person to God. So Jesus does not promise that life is going to be easy, but he promises we've got a father that loves us in the midst of that and he's going to take care of our needs. And understanding that is really, really important, right? Many of us as Christians know we shouldn't be anxious, right? And so we know Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Don't be anxious about anything but everything. My prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, right? Something, when I was a little kid, I had to memorize that verse, but I never memorized verse 4 or 5b. God is near. Do not be anxious about anything, And Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares on God. Why? Because he cares for you. So we're not going to move out of anxiety unless we have a really big picture of the love and care of God that's not tied to the circumstantial realities of our life that are going on in the here and now, but are tied to what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's the argument in Romans 8. If God gave us his son... Is he not, along with Jesus Christ, graciously going to give us all things that are needed? Parenthesis, right? And so that's what we have to root our heart into, that we have a Father that loves us more than we can imagine. And sometimes as I look at the circumstances of my life, I cannot see that, but when I look at the cross, I see Jesus dying for me, and that's okay. Regardless of what's going on right now, regardless of what diagnosis I got, or regardless if I just failed this test, or regardless if I don't know where the finances are going to come from, my God is still good because he was willing to go to the cross for me, and my future is secure and safe with him. And he says, because of that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And again, to me, as you look at that, it's like, it's interesting. It says the pagans or the Gentiles, however, the non-believers, they're seeking all these things. And Jesus, there's a term that's used in here that, that Matthew uses. They they epi-seek this. It's an intensification. It's a, re, it's a frantic, i got to have this. This consumes my life. It's my focus, my attention. More, more, more. i got to have that because that provides security. It provides identity. It provides all those things that that stuff gives. And then when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, he takes off that epi in front of it. He's like, okay, just seek. It doesn't have to be a frantic seeking. It's not uptight seeking. It's not, ah. Just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Lord, I long to be about the things that are truly significant and make a difference in this world forever. Lord, I want to have the character that you want me to have as illustrated in the sermon I'm out. That's what I want to be. And note, it doesn't say you got to get there. It's, It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that don't have it but still like this is what I long for. This is what I'm seeking first. And so regardless of what you do for a living, what is your priority when you're doing that? Is it just, okay, I want to make bank at this job, or I want to get the prestige that comes with this position, or is it, Lord, I want to be used by you where you've placed me? And if God has called you to a position of great honor and stature, that's a wonderful thing, and you can see God there, but it's not automatic. Why am I in this position that God has given me? And Chris has been talking about this and Sunday. So- Having resources is a great thing if we're open-handed with those resources and say, you know what, I can really benefit the kingdom for these things. But it's real easy, and Chris has said, the more we get and the more people make, the percentage of their giving tends to drop. So they lose sight of that, and that's why Jesus says so much about kind of the deceptiveness of wealth and, and the cares of this world and pursuing all these other desires because it can suck the spiritual life out of us. And we can always justify it, right? Because there's always people that make more than us, drive a fancier car, live in a nicer house, and it's like, wow, yeah, that person's materialistic. I'm not, right? So I don't know about you, but I want to be a non-anxious presence. I want to be a person that brings peace where I go. And I can't do that unless I am a person of peace. And again, this is one of the fruits of the Spirit. This is not something that I can gin up and generate in my life. But I think Jesus has given us some clues here on how we can more regularly experience that sense of peace. Isn't your life more than just your physical needs, the size of your bank account? It's about being part of the kingdom being his ambassador in the here and now to be used by him for his glory, a glory of a kingdom that will never fade away. Store up for yourselves treasures there. Read a quote from John Stott. This is his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. You look at the picture here. It's like, this is such a 60s cover. (laughs) It's just great. But anyhow, what he says is really relevant. It's time to sum up Jesus' exposition of the world's false ambition. To become preoccupied with material things in such a way that they engross our intention, absorb our energy, and burden us with anxiety is incompatible with both Christian faith and common sense. It's distrustful of our Heavenly Father, and it is frankly stupid. This is what pagans do but it is an utterly unsuitable and unworthy ambition for Christians. So just as Jesus has already called us in the Sermon on the Mount to a greater righteousness, a broader love, and a deeper piety, he now calls us to a higher pursuit. So I'm gonna ask Jonathan to come up, we're a little late, but I wanna sing Lay It All Down again because I know a lot of us carry stuff that we have a hard time giving over to God. Stephen, sorry. Wow, that's a blast from the past. <laughs> but just stand and, again, I'm a person just like you, and I know stuff that spins me up. So just sing along and just lay that stuff, cast your cares down at the feet of Jesus. Uh, that cast, it was used of fishermen casting a line. It's just really throw that, chuck that stuff down, at the feet of Jesus and recognize that He cares for you. Bring your worry, grief, and pain Every
1: cause you have for shame Lay it all down Lay it all down when your cares have buried you and there's nothing left to do lay it all down lay it all down at the feet of jesus at the feet of jesus you carry it on but your heart was tired Hear the worst and felt the fire. Lay it all down. Lay it all down. Filled with all those anxious thoughts, all your doubts became your guide. Lay it all down. Lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus. Lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down. Lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down. Lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down. Feet of Jesus at the feet of jesus when we've given up on better days there are memories we can't erase lay it all down lay it all down we've come to fear what we can't explain there's nothing here that can ease the pain lay it all down Lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus. Lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down. Lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down. Lay up down, lay all down, lay it all down. At the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus,
0: to these things. If God is for us who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will I not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord father we come and we just pray that those would be more than mere words to us but they would impact our hearts that we would walk into this world as your ambassadors bringing a presence of peace with us as we go. Lord, we pray again for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Sustain them. May these verses be real and rich to them as well. And even use this time to draw men and women to yourself. So, Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had in the midst of the busyness of life to focus on you. Help us, Jesus, as we walk into this world in this week to fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.